most of us take for granted the things that we see as uh, normal and uh, and expected. So hopefully we've at least sparked a thought of like, oh, hey, maybe that's not how I have to be. It's how I think I should be. Um, and where is that coming from? All right. Welcome to the podcast. Who cares about men's health? What we got here are some guys that care about their health. And they're not afraid to talk about it either. You know, we get this bad rap. Guys don't care. I want to talk about their health. That's not true. Proving it right now. My name is Scott Singpill. I am the manager of the scoperadio.com and I care about men's health. And I'm Dr. Troy Madsen. I'm an emergency physician at the University of Utah. And I'm glad that for the first time in the history of this podcast, I actually sound better than Scott on this. And I care about <laughs> men's health. <laughs> and I am uh, Dr. Nick Galley. I'm an associate professor at the UN, the Department of Health and Kinesiology. And I care about men's health. So today we're going to talk about a force. It's a force that controls us as men. And a lot of us don't even know it. But it's this invisible force that impacts how we think about our health, our body, and it can be responsible for a lot of bad health decisions. It's reinforced in magazines, TV shows, movies, social media, and communities. We cannot get away from it. As a matter of fact, the World Health Organization thinks it's the reason why men tend to live six to eight years less than women, this invisible force. And what is it? Dark matter. Kind of. <laughs> it's the it's the notion of what makes a man a man. The force is called masculinity. And Nick is an expert in this topic. And I actually did for my master's program a research paper on masculinity and men's health. And what I found was fascinating. And I don't know about you guys, but I hate the thought that anybody or any force is controlling what I'm doing. Especially if it's shortening our life by six to eight years. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's so, crazy. Yeah. Before we get going, Nick, maybe you can give us a definition of what masculinity is because it's not a real thing. It's what's called socially constructed. It's just something that we as people made up. Yeah. Let's say it's sort of the, the set of, of attitudes, beliefs, behaviors that, um, you know, dictate how um, men should behave, what they should think, what they should value. And as you said, Scott, it, it, it's pervasive. I mean, and, and we're, we're primarily talking about, you know, Western cultures and even more primarily the U.S. Um, you know, it cuts across everything that we do. So um, like an example of this and how it might impact our health is um, somebody offers you a steak or a salad and you take the salad, what happens? What happens if you got your guy friends around? Well, you know, of course it depends, but yeah, you're going to get, I mean, when I think back to when I was sort of in the prime of, because it changes, right? So when you're, you know, for me, when I was, you know, in my like late teens into my twenties and spending a lot of time with my guy friends, now you're immersed in that. And so for sure, like you, you, you get some looks, I mean, and even on that specific topic. I remember going out to lunch and dinner with my guy friends and it was almost, you know, how much fatty food can you eat, right? Like it was a challenge. <laughs> Everything's a challenge in the world of masculinity. Everything's a competition, including how much you can eat. But Nick, I wonder how much is this, how much of this is learned? How much of this is, you know, just the fact that as a man, you've got testosterone and testosterone tends to, you know, lead men often maybe to be more risk taking or maybe more competitive. I don't know. I mean, there are certain elements there versus. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I think there's a biological component, but that that becomes accentuated mm-hmm. uh, uh, for sure by by messages that that begin very early on. Uh, and by masculinity, then, are, are we talking about, you know, again, is it the way we're interacting with others? Is this the expectation I have for myself? Is it just this idea that I can't show emotion? Like what what is yeah. it really about this that's, you know, kind of the core element of it and getting to that, what is it about it that's so detrimental that's, you know, really shortening well, our lifespan? I think too, you know, before we go much further on it, it's, you know, true experts and scholars in gender studies and, and masculinity would, would probably argue that, you know, that there's multiple forms of masculinity and, and the kind that, that we're talking about here today. And that tends to be especially problematic is sort of that, that dominant, uh, what we call a very, this is a very scholarly term, hegemonic masculinity and hegemonic is just a fancy way to say dominant. Um, and I think one of the tasks and one of the goals is to try to diversify. There's nothing inherently wrong with masculinity, femininity, but building in some flexibility into those concepts that there's not just one way to be masculine or one way to be feminine. What's problematic about, you know, this, this dominant form that, that, you know, as Scott alluded to seems detrimental to our health is that, yeah, we, we box ourselves in, uh, as men into a certain way of being. Um, and that's fueled by, you know, things that we see and, and, and expectations that we hold of ourselves and that others hold of us. And really, you know, what, what needs to happen, this is maybe skipping ahead sort of to, you know, uh, more practical is there needs to be a much more flexible conception of what it means to be a man in society. And that that's difficult, right? Cause I bet you, mm-hmm. I bet you we could all tell our stories. I don't know. I can only speak for myself, I guess, but you know, I grew up in a ranch environment in Western South Dakota and there was a certain kind of, you know, way that guys were supposed to be there. Right. Which is all just created in our own brains. Like there's nothing inherent about a lot of it. And I didn't fit in. Right. I, I was a little bit more more sensitive. I was a little bit more delicate. I wasn't a big muscular guy. Right. I didn't mm-hmm. like to ride buck and bronx and bulls and I didn't like to fight. So, you know, that made me less than, you know, and I, I, I spent a lot of my life um, and I still think about it to some extent, but not as much trying to come to terms with like, oh, I'm just I'm not a man. I don't I don't look for, you know, a chance to like if somebody gets in my face, I don't get right back in their face. That's not how I choose to handle it. Maybe I choose to talk it out. That's not manly, right? That's doesn't fit that that masculine definition. So for a long time, I've, you know, and especially then comparing myself to my dad, who was all those things, you know? Yeah. So well, thanks for sharing that. And I think that speaks to one of the the earlier like manifestations of 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 how this can become problematic is when we see you know young boys in school who, who maybe prefer different types of activities that aren't perceived as masculine um, or act in ways that aren't perceived as masculine. And then they, you know, can become the subject of bullying. And, you know, we, we know well uh, the consequences of bullying on mental uh, emotional health. And also just my own emotional health, not living up to this ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, that you're not you good know. enough. That you don't yeah, meet, exactly. meet that standard. And, and I relate. I mean, where I grew up um, in a, you know, a, 
mid-sized city in in central California. It was, you know, at my high school for the boys, you know, there were sort of two ways to be popular. One, if if you were a tough guy uh, and or two, if you were if you were good at um, at sports and and physical sports. Uh, particularly so you know football or, or the you know the mainstream sports if you couldn't check either of those boxes you're sort of on the fringes of uh of popularity or of acceptance scott it's interesting to hear you talk about that because i think you know i i too i mean i didn't grow up in a ranching community i grew up in a coal mining community a small town and as a skinny nerdy kid <laughs> middle school was miserable. I mean, I got beaten up, not just bullied, physically beaten up by kids in school. And it was awful. And that kind of stuff sticks with you. And I think probably over my entire life, that element or that definition of masculinity. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's probably affected me. And it's funny. I think back to two years ago, Scott, when you approached me and said, I want to do a men's health podcast. Will you co-host with me? I mean, it was like this sense of like this imposter syndrome, like, who am I to talk about men's health? I am not a manly man, you know, <laughs> and obviously, as we, you know, as we do this podcast, you you realize that that masculinity or that sense of the manly man. And, you know, that's that's not who most men are. I don't think that's really who most men are. I think that's like you said, Nick, that's the image that's out there. Mm-hmm. And that's what we feel we should be. But you look at the, the men, you know, in your life and the men you work with, most men are not that way. You know, if we were to all Google men's health right now, what would come up are, is probably very different than the things that we're discussing today. I mean, there's even a, a magazine called Men's Health. And what do you get in that magazine? You get, you know, chiseled, muscular bodies, very much an aesthetic and physical version of, of what health is. So. Yeah, not only that, but you get these attitudes of a man in men's health is, you know, great in the bed and, and yep. you know, yep. uh, takes care of his woman and, you know, just all of these images and these thoughts that, you know. Well, not just takes care of his women, takes care of multiple women. <laughs> if, you read, mm-hmm. if you read Men's Health Magazine, it's like... Yeah, that's been my image of men's health is men's health magazine. Like how often do you see like a thin, you know, guy on the cover of men's health magazine? It's usually like dudes who are just like totally ripped and built and just, you know, like these massive dudes. And like, yeah, and all the articles there, it's about that. It's about, you know, living a lifestyle, not all of them, but, you know, a lot of them have to do with maximizing that lifestyle, live hard, play hard, you know, work hard, play hard lifestyle and um, you know, a certain element of, of sexual prowess or whatever else, you know, some of these articles. And so it's. Uh, so this makes the, 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 the battle even harder, right? Because, you know, now we have sort of the you know, big media, uh, you know, hijacking the concept of men's health, um, not just masculinity, but men's health and, and selling it to the masses, and yeah, it's that either or, right? So it doesn't leave you any in between. It's either you're working out and you're doing high intensity exercise and you're eating just perfectly, or if you can't live up to that ideal, like, which, you know, sometimes I think I can't do that. So then it's just like, well, why even bother if that's not what I'm going to get? So I think it's a little dangerous that way as well. Mm-hmm, for sure. Hey, hey, Nick. So um, I, I want to share another little aspect and then I want to kind of steer the transition of the conversation into how maybe 
each one of us can claim our own form of masculinity because I think ultimately that's what we should be able to do. So I can't speak for Troy, but I wasn't very confident and I lacked confidence for a long time in my life because I didn't fulfill this ideal of masculinity. But there, and, you know, and that can lead to mental health issues that can lead to feelings of inadequacy. But I've, I have noticed, too, that there are some men that are very confident in themselves and they might not fulfill that norm of hegemonic masculinity, but yet they, they, they create their own, right? Like to some extent, showing control and restraint and not doing all those dangerous behaviors can be a form of masculinity. How, how exactly does that work? And what are your thoughts on developing your own version of it? And then how are you confident in that version as you interact with the rest of the world? Mm. <laughs> That's a big question. <laughs> hey, listen, I gave you a little bit of warm up to get to this point. So yeah. I figure you should have all well, the answers okay. by now. So I, I think, um, you know, there's not there's not going to be a, a simple answer to this, but um, there are forces at play. You know, I, I think, you know, two of them that come to mind as I think about folks who are sort of able to transcend uh, what we've been talking about here. One is just, you know, time and maturity. Um, I do think, you know, some of the, the, it's the, the young adult males are the ones who are kind of, you know, most, uh, at risk, I would say for really trying to live this, this, this ideal, uh, that can be dangerous. And as we get older, we, we care less about what other people think we have different priorities. And so it becomes easier, you know, as we, you know, get into you know more middle adulthood to just sort of be our own person and not, you know, give a crap about, you know, what people say I should be. Now, that said, you know, there are definitely some people who who struggle with that. So I think time um, and normal development is, is an asset. And then I think, you know, another asset that some folks have are supportive influence and people in their family who who are just like unconditionally okay with um, a boy being how they want to be. And for that matter, a girl being how they want to be. And, you know, not that, you know, the, of course there's forces outside the family, but sort of that, that um, primary family tends to be the most powerful force for a lot of kids. And um, I think that goes a long way. And if you want to, you know, as a, as a young boy, if you want to play with, Barbie dolls, that's fine. If you want to watch, you know, My Little Pony, that's fine or whatever. That's what it was, you know, when I was a when I was a a kid growing up. And I think the, it seems very subtle, but when you are surrounded by folks who are just okay with you being you and not making snide comments or forcing you to be um, something that you don't want to be, um, then I think that allows for the possibility of just as you said, Scott being comfortable in your own skin, even if that doesn't align with what you're seeing um, of other boys and men. And I guess, though, Nick, as we talk about this, I mean, certainly there are some elements of masculinity that are valuable. But at what point do you feel like that truly becomes toxic? Like when, you know, we talk about masculinity, or toxic masculinity. Um, when does that sort of thing become toxic? And are we talking toxic to others, toxic to ourselves? How does that play into it? Yeah, I think both. I mean, any time that, you know, somebody has, you know, fully internalized, I don't know, I think of like heavy drinking, womanizing, or, you know, having multiple partners and, you know, not exhibiting, you know, safe and thoughtful sex behaviors. 
over imbibing in alcohol, drug use, steroid use, not going to see the doctor on a, you know, at least a yearly basis because I'm invincible, right? I mean, I think it, it it's all about sort of the behaviors and underlying that is the thought that, you know, I'm impervious to a lot of these issues. And I also, I don't need to talk about what's bothering me um, because that would suggest weakness. And, and going back to something you said there, Troy, too, um, about, you know, some of the advantages. And I do think there are advantages. And in many ways, I think our society is set up to favor an advantage um, men who who do exhibit these these dominant traits, so it's 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 reinforcing, right? Look at who we see in as CEOs and in leadership positions, and that's starting to change. But tends to be tends to be men, you know. And, and there are some positive characteristics for sure. There's also, you know, um, positive characteristics of, and I keep pointing to femininity as sort of like you know the other side of the coin here that we things that we associate with femininity that are also very positive you know such as you know compassion and 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 a nurturing having a nurturing side you know sort of those stereotypical feminine qualities that many men feel like well that's not you know what I'm supposed to do um so they they deny themselves um the opportunity to explore you know sort of that side of of who they can be uh, but but in many ways, our society is set up to really favor, I think, um, folks who who exhibit, you know, that these these uh, dominant alpha male qualities. Yeah. And it seems that, you know, in terms of just where masculinity truly becomes detrimental, it it may be that it, it's that masculinity to at the point where we ex, you know, we really try and push away any sort of feminine qualities within ourselves, any sense of nurturing, mm-hmm. any sense of emotion, those kind of things. Yep. And uh, for anger, know, anger's okay. Yeah, anger's, anger's okay, okay for 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 a man. It's okay for a man. I think that's <laughs> the only woman, emotion. When a it? woman is angry, oh, <laughs> she's you know, there's something wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so true, right? <laughs> Yeah, but it's uh, but it, it seems though that that's that often you know as I'm hearing you talk about this and talk about these different elements, it seems that when masculinity really becomes an issue and, and a problem, it's it is when we number one, like you said, you take that masculinity to the extreme in terms of risk taking, detrimental behaviors in terms of how we treat others and interact with others, and then we push aside anything that would be associated with that feminine element. Uh, again, the nurturing, the caretaking, all those sorts of things. And, you know, Scott, as you talked about the years lost on our life, I would imagine that those are the things that really cause those years to drop off when we are pushing aside, you know, or our ability to feel emotion and ability to care and nurture and those sorts of things. And then add on that the risk taking behavior and everything else there. And that that seems like that combination is is what what is truly toxic and what what really hurts us. As we uh, wrap this up, um, here are a couple of my takeaways, Nick, and I'd like l- love to hear yours as well. So I think the goal of uh, this particular episode is just for those that weren't aware that this is an invisible force in one's life um, that is actually impacting your decisions or how you feel about yourself, um, just to become aware that it's out there and it's a thing. Because um, I think, you know, obviously awareness is the first thing. 
And then mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, developing your own definition of what you are as a person, maybe just, you mm-hmm. know, abandon this notion of men and women. Like, what are you as a person? And I, I'm guessing that the, the, you know, I'm guessing that the super toxic masculinity individuals have dropped off this episode way before this point. So, you know, <laughs> we're not talking to them necessarily. But, but we could be talking to parents of of you know, of, of children that who, ha, who have a role in sort of, you know, shaping them. So, yeah. And I mean, you know, the way you shape them could either empower them to go out and accomplish great things and feel good about themselves and be mentally well off, or it can burden them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the, with, you know, if we're, if we're forcing uh, those types of things, I suppose on, on kids. So I think becoming aware and I think realizing that it's okay to be you like, I tend to be more sensitive. I tend to be more thoughtful. I don't react and come to anger as quickly as maybe some men. I don't believe in fighting. You know, mm-hmm. that's okay. That's my outlook on life, and that's fine. Have you ever been in a fight, Scott? I'm just curious. Actually, I never have, believe it or not. Like a and I physical was a, fist fight? Like not uh-huh. even in elementary school? No, no. I was, yeah. and I was a, I was a quote-unquote doorman at a bar for a couple of years. <laughs> you and were, I never, you were I never got in a fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, fight. right? Bouncer, yeah. <laughs> Scott's like the world's worst bouncer. <laughs> actually, like, I all right, guys. Let's talk the best. Guy. Because I'm he's actually willing to like talk and like. <laughs> I know, I'm know, just joking. It's just like, yeah, you're totally breaking the mold of the bouncer you're like a negotiator <laughs> i love it <laughs> that's great nick any final kind of thoughts or takeaways uh from this episode what what do you hope that it accomplished today oh yeah raising awareness pr- primarily and um you know i talk about internalizing and i think most of us take for granted the things that we see as uh normal and uh and expected so hopefully we've at least sparked a thought of like oh hey maybe that's not how i have to be it's how i think i should be um and where is that coming from and maybe more men are willing to have conversations like we just did right now uh about about these topics Yeah, I think it is just, I mean, obviously we say be yourself. Sometimes that's hard because it's like, well, yeah, there are different elements of myself, but be, I think it's be your best self. Like there are elements of masculinity that are, I think, good. Yeah. And, but it's also tough to sometimes be yourself if you're not in the uh, environment. Like, yeah. There's no way as a young man, I would have been able to buck the trend. I don't think of what was expected of me. You know, I don't know. Maybe there could have been, had I been more confident. But, you know, still, anyway. yeah, it's, yeah, but yeah, but you but just got to try the best you can. Yeah. But I think, yeah, embrace the, embrace the, the best of these things and don't, yeah. And I think that's it too. Like, I think again, getting to that thing about, well, these things are associated with femininity in terms of emotion and caretaking and all that. But if that's part of you, embrace it, like embrace that. And just, and, and I think one takeaway too, like I said, Scott, is just that uh, most men are not that stereotypical man. I think that's been one thing that's come to me in terms of this podcast as we've talked to so many experts and, you know, it's just opened my eyes and just look at the people I work with and the patients I see and all these things. Most men are not the stereotypic, stereotypical manly man that we sometimes think we should be. And that's just, that's not the norm. That may be what's mm-hmm. held out there is what we should become, but that's not what most men are. And there's a certain strength 
I guess if I was to give advice if, if to young Scott, like how, how could you still be yourself and be in an environment where there's a different definition of masculinity? I think, and I could be completely full of crap and might get the crap kicked out of me. I think there's a certain <laughs> strength in knowing who you are and owning that and making no apologies for it. I think you can stand up to people, most people. I mean, they're going to be outliers, right? Like anything. But I think there's a certain strength in that. And I think if, you know, if you do it enough and you're resolved enough, I think that can, that can, you know, help. Nick, yeah. what do you think? Am I completely crazy? Yeah, on that? I, I do. I think for the, the most vulnerable um, people, which is, which is kids and adolescents there, they need support um, from parents, from teachers, from church leaders, because, um, yeah, I mean, when you're, when you're eight, 10, 12, 14, um, years old, uh, we could be delivering this message to them all day. Love who you are, own it, be okay with it. But, um, they need, they need to see more than that. Uh, and they need role models who, who they can look up to, who display, you know, who are confident, but also, caring but also strong but also compassionate they need to see that um i think to really buy in yeah and that's it's a lot easier as an adult i think to do that than as a mm-hmm. a kid with the perils of you know just the, the peer groups yeah. and all that that's it, that's a tough tough place to be yeah because then as an adult you you to some extent can choose where you go you know oh, as yeah. a kid you can't you have to go yeah. to this place it's called school and everybody's thrown in there and it's just a big old free-for-all but That's i can avoid nice. you know the type of people i want to avoid in my you know my work life yeah it's so. yeah it's a lot easier but you know for those you know those listening who you're an adult and you can embrace that and and if it's in, if you're in a work because there are certain work environments where I think it's difficult, you know, I think that certain work environments, mm-hmm. it may be difficult to to truly be who you are. And, and uh, you know, maybe certain coworkers, but you can always find a new job or even switch professions or, or all those sorts of things. So I think it's a lot easier as an adult, but I think that's probably the point is to, you know, to really embrace that, embrace who you are and not feel like you have to fit a certain mold that's held out there. Yep. Realize that masculinity is a thing. It's not a real thing. It's just created by all of us in society that, uh, you know, have come to these assumptions and these assumptions can be challenged and you can define your own way. Uh, One of the things I love that you said, Nick, is question why we call things normal. And I think that can even go beyond this notion of masculinity. Why is this considered normal? Do I subscribe to this uh, thought that this is normal? What are my thoughts on it? Um, and I, th- I think that can, when you start asking those questions, I think you can start really kind of building your own confidence um, and, you know, going your own way. Nick, thank you very much for this conversation. Uh, appreciate it as always for being on the podcast and thanks for caring about men's health. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Sorry, we're just going to leave this here. It might have something to do with health, or maybe it's just a random thought that's kicking around in our brain that we need to let free. Troy, do you have any random thoughts you need to set free? Totally random thoughts, Scott. So I am, I'm, I'm, and you probably are too, but I'm kind of a grammar nerd. So this is a grammar issue that has really bothered me, and I've got to get your insight on this. So if I were to have sent you a text message yesterday, how would you say that phrase? Like, I text you yesterday or I texted you yesterday. The thing that feels natural and normal is I texted you yesterday. 
I know. Me too. I mean, text has become a verb. It's a noun. A text is a noun. It's become a verb. Like, okay, it's just in our daily usage, become a verb. But people say text all the time. Like, oh, I text you last week. Oh, I text you, you know, yesterday. Oh, I text. And it's not, they're not saying texted. They're just saying text. And I looked this up. I'm like, well, what's the proper use of the, of the verb text? If I sent you a text yesterday, if I texted you, and there is no proper use because it's just like this noun we've turned into a verb and we're all just using it. And some people are saying, I texted you. And some people are saying, I text you. Probably the best way to say it is I sent you a text message yesterday. But yeah. I mean, if it's right. a noun, that's how you would say it. Yep. Yeah. Be on the lookout. Now it's, now it's going to start driving you crazy. You're yeah. going to hear people saying it all the time. Like, oh, I text you this picture. Or I text you this, you know, whatever. And you're like, text me like right now or you text you or you texted it like two hours ago. I'm just going to leave this here. Uh, you know, Thunder uh, Jalili, our nutrition experts, talked a couple times about time-restricted eating. So um, there's a lot of confusing, confusion when it comes to fasting because it can mean a lot of different things. But time-restricted eating is just taking the time that you allow yourself to eat during the day and keeping it uh, limited to like 12 hours or 10 hours or eight hours. So then you have a fast between, you know, then and when you eat again. Um, I started doing this when COVID first started, just before COVID first started. It, I actually loved it. I felt great. I felt clearer in my brain. Uh, I slept better. Um, so I've started doing that again after Thunder came on. Nice. Uh, and it's only taken a couple of days and already just, it, I feel so good. So if you've ever oh, considered nice. time-restricted eating, um, there's also a documentary out there I just watched. Uh, I'm going to say right now that this documentary probably only needed to be about 40 minutes long and it's an hour and a half. So you can just uh, kind of fast forward this, through the stuff you're not interested one, in. One of those. I've seen too many of those documentaries. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But it's called Fasting and it's on Netflix. And, nice. um, you know, first of all, go back and listen to some of our Thunder episodes. But if you're interested in time restricted eating and fasting in general, uh, and why it works, um, you know, you might want to check out that Netflix documentary. So, so what are you restricting yourself to like 10 hours or 12 hours or what's um, your, yep. I've started at 12 and yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to see how that goes. Now, thunder has said that's a good maintenance kind of time frame. Yeah. Um, uh, and then in a couple of weeks, I think I'm going to move to 10 or eight cause I have some body oh, wow. fat I'd like to lose. So okay. I decided to start with 12 cause I thought that was doable. And then I'm going to try to get it to 10 or eight. So that's nice. the plan. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Nice. All right. Time to say the things that you say at the end of podcast, because we are at the end of ours. First of all, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do it a lot of different ways. The way that would be kind of cool is if you called 60155-SCOPE, that's 60155-SCOPE, and leave us a voicemail with your message, your question, your feedback, whatever. But there are other methods as well. You can contact us, hello at thescoperadio.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash whocaresmenshealth. Our website is whocaresmenshealth.com. Also, subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. We're on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, whatever works for you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring about men's health.